0: I'm going to ask Jason to come and join me on stage here. As Jason comes to share, we're so thankful for Jason. He leads our denomination uh, as a pastoral team, as a church. We're so thankful for your leadership, Jason. Uh, Jason's blessed us in many ways. Recently speaking at a young adult conference here, not long ago at the men's ministry as well, regularly speaking here as well. We're so blessed uh, by his ministry. Could we really welcome him as he comes to share with us this morning? Thank you.
1: Good morning, Bridgman. It's great to uh, be here. I always love uh, coming here and just worshipping uh, with you. I'm so blessed by uh, Haley's testimony uh, this morning. That'll just encourage me. Thank you, Haley. just hearing what God has done in your life for months to come. Uh, it's great to just see the the way that God works in our hearts and lives, and I pray this morning that this this message that God's put on my heart, ministered to me with, uh, will minister to many of you in the situation that you are walking through. A little uh, family photo, little family update since I was here last. I uh, put that photo up uh, on the screen. I actually gave it to the guy at the young adults conference four weeks ago uh, to put up on the screen, and he says, oh, "I was," I says, "I'm." Surprised you have kids so young. What, what, what he wanted to say but didn't know how to say it is: you look far too old to have kids uh, that that young. Well, it's true. We are They are our grandkids. And uh, our kids uh, have grown up and I am far too old to, uh, to, to have kids that young. Our granddaughter, who's now three, Aurelia, uh, was throwing her in the pool the other day and I've hurt my back. That's how, uh, that's how old I am. But uh, every chance I get, I take her in the pool and I teach her to swim because my big vision uh, for the future is I'll one day be standing in a stadium and hear over the loudspeaker swimming in lane seven is Aurelia from Australia? So the Olympics, the Olympics is coming up. Please uh, pray with me. And they, they gave our granddaughter this beautiful name, uh, like Aurelia. And then just six weeks ago, we had our first uh, grandson, same daughter, and they called him Freddie. <laughs> Aurelia and Freddie. That, that's trouble coming. I, I can just picture teachers going, oh, Freddy. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to him growing up. I love him already and looking forward to getting to wrestle him in uh, years to come. I reckon every Freddy is a wrestler. Uh, but <laughs> I, uh, I am getting uh, a little older. I'm turning 50 in two weeks. And uh, people say, What's it going to feel like turning 50? I go, I'm a grandpa. You know, I'm I'm a grandpa. Turning 50 is nothing. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. Someone down the front needs to go to Specsavers. They said, I I only look 30. No one said that to me for a very long time, but thank you. I'll take that and I'll be telling my wife the first thing I'll tell her when I get home. But another old person. All right, who remembers? Who here in this room remembers Doeg the Edomite? Come on, show our hands if you remember Doeg the Edomite. There's about three of you. Most of you have got a degree from Bible college. I, uh, I gotta be honest, I went to Bible college to do a three-year degree. It took me nine years and the whole nine, I'm a slow learner, the whole nine years uh, I was there. I don't remember anything about Doeg the Edomite. I've been preaching for 28 years. I've preached a lot of sermons. I do not remember coming across Doeg the Edomite before, but uh, just a few weeks ago, There's a psalm that really ministered to me in the season I was walking through and Doeg the Edomite's name was at the top of the psalm. And I thought, I better find out who this guy is. Well, Doeg the Edomite actually was a man of great power and influence for a time. He had his moment in the spotlight with a lot of power and a lot of influence, but he used his power and influence for evil, not not for good. He, he was actually the right hand man of King Saul. He was his chief guard. King Saul's the first king of Israel. And uh, th- th- this man was given a lot of power and influence under Saul's leadership. It was the same time that David was becoming uh, very popular. People were singing songs about David what a great leader, what a mighty warrior he was. And King Saul got jealous of David and decided to kill him. David. David hears the whispers around the palace that he's going to die and so he runs for his life uh, with a a group of uh, other guys and he gets to a place called Nob And at Nob there is a chief priest named Ahimelech. Now David is now homeless and he's hungry and he says to Ahimelech, can you give us some food out of the temple, out of the tabernacle, out of the sanctuary to keep us alive so we can survive? And Ahimelech helps David and his men, helps them to survive, gives them some food. Now what was happening at the time that David didn't know about was that Doeg was hiding in the bushes somewhere And he actually saw Ahimelech help David. And he runs straight back to the palace and tells the king that Ahimelech has helped David, your enemy. And King Saul's heart has gone rotten by this stage. And he gathers all of his guards together and he says, go back and I want you to put Ahimelech to death. And I want you to kill all the priests. And all of the guards refused to do it. They actually refused to put God's people to the sword, except for Doeg. Doeg puts up his hand and he says, I'll do it. And he goes back to Nob and he kills Ahimelech. He kills 85 priests. He kills all of their families, their wives, their children, and all of their livestock. This is a bloodthirsty man. This is a selfish man. This is a man that is unjust. This is a man that used his power and influence, his moment in the spotlight for evil and not for good. And David hears about it. While Doeg is is living in luxury in the palace, David is hiding in a cave with a group of malcontents. and and David is hopping mad. David is angry and rightly so. You know, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like injustice is actually going to have the final say. Just because this man helped him, a whole village has been wiped out. And David is angry. And he had every reason to throw his toys out of the cot and go, That's it. I'm giving up on God. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. You know, I'm not going to pursue the call of God on my life. But instead, David chooses in this moment to write a worship song. It's Psalm 52. I'd love you to open it with me if you've got a Bible. Remember, this is a worship song that David writes. He says, Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. This is a worship song. In our context, it's kind of like, you know, shine, Jesus, shine. Kill this lousy dog named Doeg. Blaze, spirit, blaze. Set Doeg on fire. <laughs> uh, amazing, Grace, how sweet the sound, but please do not save a wretch like Doeg. It's a little different to some of the worship songs we sing today. It's actually a a psalm of wisdom and folly, of wisdom and foolishness. It's a song to remember that if we live in God's wisdom, we will see God's faithfulness. And if we choose to live in foolishness and folly, there will be a day that it all comes to an end. We will be uprooted. If you skip down to to verse 8, David says this, But I, in the midst of all this disappointment, in all of that's happening around me, all of the destruction that's happening in the world around me, in, in everything that's come, crashing down in the midst of all this bloodshed, he says, But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. Can everyone say flourishing? Flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people and I will hope in your name for your name is good. That word flourishing just jumped out at me when I read it a few weeks ago. Flourishing. It kind of sounds more like a talk For the Wonder Women's Conference, than it does for someone who normally talks about Jesus the bloke. But it's a word that's really ministered to me as I read this psalm. Flourishing means living. Flourishing means what is living is actually growing. Flourishing means that what is living is growing and it's fruitful. There's a fruitfulness. And David says, I am flourishing in the midst of destruction and disappointment that is happening around me. I'm still flourishing in God. There's another word that got used a lot in the last two years, not necessarily in the church, but in our culture to describe our emotional state. It was the word languishing. A lot of people during the pandemic you know, found themselves languishing. It's kind of the opposite of flourishing. It means lacking life and vitality, lacking energy, lacking hope for the future, you know, lacking you know, new life. We are languishing in the circumstances that we are living in. As I read this psalm, I just felt like God was saying He wants to move some of us from a state of languishing to a state of flourishing. He actually wants to move his church from a place of languishing to a place of flourishing. Because the heart of God for all eternity is for human flourishing. From beginning to end, God has always been about human flourishing. His heart is for you to flourish. Can I hear an amen? His heart is for you to flourish. He's already been prayed up here this morning. He is for you and He is not against you. His heart is for you to flourish. His heart is for your family to flourish and his heart is for his church family to flourish. It's the heart of God for human flourishing and David gives us some understanding of how to flourish in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of grief, in the midst of injustice in the world. He gives us some clues as how to flourish. Firstly, he says, flourishing requires planting. He says this, he says, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. This is uh, my olive tree. I uh, bought it from Bunnings a few weeks ago. I walked in and I said, uh, I'd like an olive tree, about six foot tall, just so it could stand next to me on stage. And they said, no worries, it will be 500 bucks. Uh, I said, mate, I'm a Baptist, not a Pentecostal. He says, 500 bucks? He says, I don't care what you are. It's 500 bucks. And I said, well, if you've got a little one that can go on a table and stand next to me. He said that'll be $59.99. This is my $59.99 olive tree. And I'm, I'm no green thumb, as you can possibly uh, tell. I haven't been to too many nurseries. But I know that for an olive tree to flourish, it needs to be planted. This is what it says. It says, Olive trees flourish where there is good drainage, cool winters and hot, dry summers. I'm not sure it's really going to flourish in Brisbane, but anyway, incorporate this exotic beauty. He was happy to take my $59.99 anyway. Incorporate this exotic beauty in your garden to capture the tantalising flavours of the Mediterranean and you'll be able to enjoy these sensational olives with a drink or two. Obviously not a Baptist olive farmer and a tasty antipasto platter of breads, meats and cheeses. I am gonna go home tight. I'm gonna go home and plant this $59 tree because if an olive tree is not planted, it doesn't matter whether you watch Better Homes and Gardens every weekend. You know it's not gonna grow. It's not gonna flourish. It's not gonna be fruitful. If it doesn't put down roots in soil for an olive tree to flourish, it must be planted. I hear kind of people saying, and I think it's been accentuated in the last couple of years, you know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I don't have to be planted in a local church to be a follower of Jesus. And I guess it might be true. But if you wanna flourish, you gotta be planted. You gotta put down roots. I I wanna encourage you. Maybe this is a season for some of you where your church attendance has been up and down and it's just time to draw a line in the sand and go, okay, new season. We're planting ourselves as a family in this church. We are going to put down roots. We're going to find a place to serve. You know, we're going to find a small group to join. We're going to find a community to be a part of. We are going to be planted in this place. And maybe you've got an empty seat next to you, and somebody used to be planted here, and they've gone missing. I tell you, sometimes people just need a phone call go, hey, we missed you. Hey, come and get planted. Come and get back planted in the local church because if you want to flourish, you need to be planted Amen. david David knew this he talked about it you know all the time he loved. You know, being with the people of God, in the presence of God. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Now David knew, we see from other parts of Scripture, David knew how to walk with God on his own. He knew how to walk with God out on the fields in his own, but he longed, he loved to be planted in the presence of God with God's faithful people. And he wrote other Psalms about this, and it's not just olive trees that need to be planted. Psalm 92, he says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. That's good news for all us grandpas. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Don't don't worry about oil of you, Len. Don't worry about Revitalift. You don't want wrinkles. You don't want fidibators. Do you know what fidibators are? Fidibators are when you used to, your muscles used to go up like that and then you become a grandpa and they start going down like that. Doesn't matter how much time I spend in the gym, they still keep going down like that. They're for You don't want for You wanna stay fresh and green, strong and supple. David says, plant yourself. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord and your faith will stay fresh and strong and supple. Can I encourage you, those that are in the older generation, those that are grandparents like me, don't just come to church for your sake. Come to church for the sake of the next generation. I tell you, it's, it's not easy being a fully devoted follower of Jesus out there right now. There are young people coming through our schools and universities and entering workplaces, and it's a challenge And they're facing hostility to stand up for the truth of the gospel. They need to come here and find the older generation encouraging them, cheering them on, praying for them. Come here with a purpose, old people like me. Anyone who's 50 and over is old today. All right, come here with a purpose on a Sunday. Don't come come by all means to come and worship, come and enjoy the presence of God, but also come for the next generation. Come and invest into the generation coming through. Speak encouraging words over them. Cheer them on because they need it. Parents, plant yourselves as a family in the local church. I didn't get everything right Uh, as a parent. I'm now a grandparent. I look back and I got some regrets about some things that I did. But one thing I'm very, very grateful for, and, and my kids are very happy to point it out, just by the way, I don't know if anyone else has got that going on. But I tell you one thing, I'm very, very grateful that we did is that we planted our kids in the local church. Every Friday, every Sunday, every life group they wanted to get to, we got them to that place. And they've flourished, each in their own way. They've they've become followers of Jesus serving in the local church. Plant yourself. You want to flourish? Requires planting. Secondly, flourishing requires persevering. It's one of the reasons I loved Haley and Mark's testimony this morning. They did have every reason to give up. <laughs> they had every reason to go, I'm not sure that God is for us. But in their moment of greatest need, they, they cried out to God, they held on to God, and God's done a beautiful work in their lives. But flourishing requires perseverance through tough seasons you know for an olive tree to flourish and grow it takes more than five minutes to be planted anyone here know how long it takes for an olive tree to become fruitful anyone want to have a guess someone said six years you're very very close you must watch better homes and gardens the the tag says five years Five years for a $59.99 olive tree that will die very soon, I'm sure, in my backyard. Five years. Five years before it becomes fruitful. And you won't become a fruitful follower of Jesus in five minutes. It actually takes time it actually takes time of walking with Jesus through difficult seasons where he will actually produce fruit in your life and make you mature. Amen. I'm glad James the brother of Jesus said this because these are tough words to say. He says this, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When you persevere under trial, you become fruitful. Perseverance produces fruitfulness. Faithfulness produces fruitfulness. Faithfulness produces flourishing. So I look back at some of the most difficult times in my life. They were the times where God produced something good in me that is still being fruitful today. You know, and I started in ministry in Sydney, actually, in a different denomination. And uh, we were leading in a, a local church in the western suburbs of Sydney, and we loved it. We were very involved in the community. We actually thought we were going to be there for the rest of our lives. I was riding my bike through the bush one day and I felt like God say to me, it's time to leave all that you currently know behind. And I argued with God for 10 months. Give me a little show of hands if anyone else here has ever argued with God. Okay, four of us, good. I argued with God for 10 months until I eventually gave in and I surrendered to what I believed he'd said to me. And that next 12 months was a wilderness year for us. We really thought that God had called us to ministry. Now we weren't sure. We weren't sure where to next. It was just a a wilderness time. We're going, God, what have you got for our lives? What, What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? We felt a little purposeless. But it was in that time as we held on to God's unfailing love. And that's what David says is the key here. He says, I trust in your unfailing love. Even though there's difficulty happening around me, I choose to trust in your unfailing love, your forever love, your love that'll never let me go. And as we just held on to God's love in that season, He clarified the call for us. He clarified, He made it clear what our purpose was for the future. And that's what landed us in Queensland, what's landed us becoming Baptist because in that wilderness time has become incredibly fruitful for us. God has brought about a fruit from that season I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined I was here doing this today and speaking from the position that God has entrusted me with. God will clarify, call in difficult seasons for you. About five years later, I ended up as a senior pastor at Gateway, and there's a bunch of people in the church who thought I was too young and couldn't do it. And so I was doing everything I could to prove them wrong. I was working hard, I was working late, I was stressed and I was anxious, and I got sick. I was sick for about 12 months and I couldn't shake it. And I was at a prayer meeting. One night, it was quite a big prayer meeting. A lot of our church was there. I was down the front row where Andrew's sitting, and it was my turn to get up on stage and to lead the prayer, and I just couldn't. I started to feel the weight of my sin. I started to understand how much it grieved God that I was leading out of my own strength, my own wisdom, my own understanding, and I was just leaving him out of the picture. And I understood at that point it was sin. And I felt the weight of that sin. I ended up on my knees just in tears before God. I just couldn't get up and lead the prayer meeting before I confessed to my church what was going on in my heart. Very embarrassing moment for me. I don't like those kind of moments. But it was in that moment. You know, Jesus says, you know, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. I experienced that on that night. God changed me in that moment over the next few months. In that moment of just crying out to God, humbling myself before God and my whole church. I felt God begin to lift me up and what he produced in me in that season was a joy and an intimacy in ministry I'd never known before. I learned to actually live every day surrendered to the Holy Spirit, surrendered to the living Christ. He produced something good in a difficult season. And I've never suffered from that sickness again. That stress and anxiety lifted out of my body, I've never been the same again. Fast forward another five or six years and, you know, we're building this giant kids and youth building to see generations of courageous followers of Jesus, you know, raised up across, uh, across Brisbane. But at the same time, it's a really exciting time for our church It was the darkest time in our family. My 14 year old daughter got anorexia nervosa and it's an awful disease. I had no idea how awful it was until we went through it. It was the darkest time in our marriage. I wasn't sure we were gonna hold it together. It was the darkest time in our family. I wasn't sure my daughter was gonna survive. The doctor said, don't let her walk into hospital. Her heart rate is too low and it's too weak. Push her in a wheelchair. She was in there for months and a lot of the time and the thing that kept her alive was she had a tube down her throat feeding her. The worst moment was the moment I went to visit her on my own without my wife and Bronte got very agitated and she started screaming and the doctor came in and said, Jason, you're doing more harm than good. You need to leave. I'm not only a dad, but I'm a pastor I do this for a living. I'm a professional at visiting people in hospital. And I get sent out. And it was a number of weeks later that God gave both Susan and myself, you know, individually this picture of us baptising Bronte, just like Haley was this morning and her sharing her testimony. And we just held on to hope. We held on, as David said, to to God's good name. We held on to his unfailing love. We just held on believing that God could bring a breakthrough one day. In that moment, God produced in me a new understanding, a new way of knowing the Father's voice. It was in that season when I had a lot of negative thoughts going through my head that were weighing me down. I was trying to discern what God was saying. It was in that season that I learned that the voice of our heavenly Father will never push us away, but will always draw us close. Some of you need to hold on to this this morning. You need to take hold of it this morning. The voice of the Father will never, ever push you away. He'll always draw you close. He will never use His words to put you down, but He'll always build you up and give you hope. And it transformed my life in the darkest season of our lives. And I've got to teach that to hundreds, probably thousands of people since. God produces fruitfulness when we persevere with Him and we hold on to His unfailing love. Let me give you a little good news story. That's now seven years ago. Today, my daughter is so strong, she's competing in a statewide CrossFit competition on the Gold Coast, and she's coming third out of 84th, I think, out of 80 something people in her category. God can transform lives. Flourishing requires planting flourishing requires persevering. If you are going through a difficult time right now, God has not given up on you. If you're going through a difficult time right now, God is producing something good in you. That's what He's like. Lastly, flourishing flows from praising. David says, for what you've already done, I will always, everyone say always, I will always praise you. That's a big statement. I'll always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. You know, there's been a lot of study done. I can't believe universities and governments spend thousands of dollars on this, probably millions of dollars, but there's been a lot of study done on the effect of music on plants. It turns out, if you want to Google it, it, uh, it turns out that plants generally prefer jazz and classical Plants prefer uh, music being played to them for around four to six hours a day and I could not find any study on Google that said plants prefer country and Western music (laughs) or that they flourish listening to rap music. All right, it's been scientifically proven. David says, when I sing praises to you, In the presence of your faithful people, I flourish in my faith. I flourish. We don't praise because our life is going smoothly. We don't praise because all of our kids are behaving the way we want them to. We don't praise because our bank balance is soaring. We don't praise because all of our problems are disappearing. We praise because when we were deserving of death, the creator of the universe, the maker of olive trees, the one who threw stars into space came to earth in bodily form and the same arms that stretched out to throw stars into space were stretched out and nailed to a tree that He created. The one who had committed no sin became sin for you and me so that we could become the righteousness of God. We could be right with God. God. We praise because on the third day when the women went to anoint his dead body, they could not find his body. In fact, they found angels who said to them, why are you looking for the Living among the dead he is not here he is risen we praise because Jesus Christ came to earth to die on a cross and on the third day he rose from the dead and he's alive today we praise because Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise amen If he never does another thing for us in our lives, that's enough to praise him always. David learnt how to praise in a pit, he knew how to praise in a cave, he knew how to praise when his kids were going off the rails. He knew how to praise when he was getting chased around the country by a bloodthirsty king. He he knew how to praise even in his darkest moments when he's confessing his sins to God. David wrote 73 Psalms of praise to God, still being sung today. We don't sing Psalm 52 very often, it's a bit weird. But David says in Psalm 119, I will praise you seven times a day. I don't know if there's anything magical about seven times, but I just feel as some of us here today might need to put that into practice. You might need to just put a reminder in your phone. You don't need to call the whole band up, but you just simply need to stop and praise God for what he's done because praise ushers us into the presence of God. Praise takes our eyes off of our problems and on to the power of God praise is powerful flourishing in our faith flows from praise and David knew how to praise God on his own but he knew there was something powerful about praising with in the presence of faithful people you know it's like when we come to church and we're sitting next to Freddie and we know that Freddie's health is failing and yet Freddie's still praising. It puts faith in our hearts. When we're sitting next to Stella and we know Stella's story. You know, someone who should have loved Stella has actually really badly damaged Stella and yet she's still choosing to praise God. It fills our hearts with compassion and with faith, and we're sitting next to Wally, and he's such a Wally, we can't see the words because he's, you know, he's so big and tall in front of us. But we see Wally lifting his hands in praise to God, and we know he's just lost his job. It fills our heart with faith that God is a provider, that God is able, that God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. Flourishing flows from praising. The question this morning, do you want to be a Doeg or a David? Do you want to flourish or do you want to languish? Selfishness and evil may shine for a time, but God is faithful. God will not allow it to last forever. Does anyone know how long an olive tree lives for? Someone was close with six years to fruitfulness before. Whoever that was, have another guess. How long does an olive tree normally live for? Ten's a bit more than ten. I heard a thousand somewhere. Do you know the average? The average lifespan for an olive tree? Five hundred years. You know, the oldest living olive tree in the world today, the Badawi olive tree in Jerusalem, it's somewhere between two and 5,000 years old. They know it's at least 2,000 years old, but they're not sure how far beyond that. It was planted before Caesar Augustus issued a decree for those born in Bethlehem to come home. It was planted before our Saviour was placed in a manger. It it was planted before Pilate washed his hands of his innocent blood. It was planted before the church was birthed. It was planted before Emperor Nero tried to wipe out this little fledgling church and tried to uproot it and to destroy it. It continued to flourish through that season and it flourished through the dark ages, the middle ages. It flourished through the enlightenment. You know, it flourished as, as evil kingdoms rose up and, and shed blood and injustice was done around the world. It continued to flourish through every pandemic and every plague. It, it flourished through World War I and World War II. It flourished through Y2K. It made it into the next Amen. millennium. And lo and behold, it is still flourishing after COVID-19. Now, God is a God who loves human flourishing. He loves His people to flourish. He loves His church. Flourish. You know, David flourished. David, three people in the room remembered him. Sorry, Doeg, three people in the room remembered him. David flourished through difficulty. He was planted, he persevered, and he praised God like no one that's ever lived, probably. He was a blessing to his nation while he lived and long after he died. David was a giant killer. When everybody in the community was looking at the giant coming against them, causing them harm, and went running, David walked out into battle with a sling and a stone and a trust in Almighty God. And we got all sorts of metaphorical giants out in our community today. Giants of injustice, giants of unbelief that have got people running scared. We need Davids to be raised up today. We need to be Davids in our church in Bridgman Baptist Church to be raised up to actually trust in the immeasurable power of God to slay giants that are hurting people in our community. Now David was a songwriter he wrote songs of praise that are still being sung today. And I, I got this prayer in my heart. I cannot sing in tune, I, I cannot play an instrument. I I got no idea how to write a song, but there's this nagging prayer in my heart that God would raise up songwriters in the Australian church that would sing powerful songs, that would reach people in pubs, that would be sung in stadiums, that would be sung in churches around our nation that declare the truth of Jesus Christ across this great Southland of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to pray with me that God would be raised up songwriters. You know, David was a great leader from a young age. I had the privilege of being here about four weeks ago for a young adults conference is so exciting to see what God is doing here in the young adults. About a few weeks later, I gathered with emerging leaders from all over Queensland, all over our Baptist movement and walked into the room and tears in my eyes because we've been praying for this. They've walked into a room at Mapleton and they were hungry for God and they were desperate to make a difference for the Gospel. And you need to be very proud, because O and the Bridgman Worship Team stood up on the stage and just led them in praise, led them into the presence of God, and they were blessed. And that blessing has gone back to churches right across Queensland. I'm believing for God to do something great in this state, in this nation, in this next season. This is a time for the church to flourish. We got an exciting window of time ahead of us. In the next, you know, ten or eleven years, you know, we got Baptist World. Congress coming to Brisbane. People from all over the world are going to come and sing the praises of Jesus Christ in this city. You know, a couple of years later, we're going to be celebrating 150 years as a Queensland Baptist movement, a chance to celebrate God's faithfulness to us over 150 years where people have put down roots and there has been a fruitfulness, there's been a flourishing of this movement. And I believe the best is yet to come. You know, I love celebrating with you a few, little while ago, 30 years of faithful ministry here at Bridgeman, And I'm believing, I'm believing that the next 30 years is going to be even more fruitful than the last 30 years. And not just here in Bridgman. I believe God's going to continue to bless Northern Brisbane through this church. But I'd love to hear in the story of people from Glen Innes being here today. And I believe that's going to continue. People are going to come from all over Australia. And there's something of the Spirit is going to be imparted to them in this house, in this place. And they're going to take it back to wherever God's planted them. And they're going to be changed. They're going to be full of faith. I tell you, there's a mantle of prayer and praise over this church. And it's a gift to the church in this city. I got a little bit distracted there, but I I just wanna encourage you. If you go on through through that timeline, the Olympics is coming to Brisbane. It's gonna be a time when the whole world is shining a light on Brisbane. And it's our chance as a church to gather together, the church in the city, to gather and to pray and to believe for revival, to shine a bright light on Jesus when the world is shining a light on our city. And then 2030, uh, 2033, 2030, 2033, I don't know what's gonna happen. It's going to be 2,000 years since the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a time, it's a time for the church worldwide to celebrate and to give thanks. I believe there's a fruitfulness that will come. Hey, this is an exciting season for our city. It's an exciting season for the church in our city. I believe God is calling us to be planted in His local church to persevere through difficult times and they'll keep coming and to choose to praise Him always. Choose to trust in His unfailing love. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'd just like to pray for a bunch of people. If you're here this morning and you're just saying today, I'm deciding. I'm deciding to persevere through my difficult times. And I'm choosing to praise God right now. I'm choosing. I'm, I'm bringing a sacrifice of praise, a discipline of praise. Because I trust in God's unfailing love. I don't know what you're walking through in your, in your family, in your health, in your circumstances around you. But today's is today. You say, hey, I'm persevering. I'm not giving up. I'm choosing to praise. If that's you, can I just get you to stand where you are? just open your arms I just want to pray a blessing over you I want to pray that God would strengthen you just jump to your feet if that's you just open your arms just receive from God today Father thank you I thank you that you're a God of unfailing love you're so faithful you're so good You're so kind. You're full of mercy and grace, forgiving sins from generation to generation. God, you're so kind. God, this morning I pray for a fresh revelation of your goodness, your faithfulness and your kindness. God, in the midst of the darkness that people are walking through, the difficulty, the disappointment that people are walking through, Father God, I pray that you would give them strength to sing your praises, to declare your praises. God, that they would lift their eyes off their problems and onto your greatness and your power. God, would you pour out a blessing today as people walk through health challenges, family difficulties, relationship troubles, financial hassles. God, today... I pray for a spirit of perseverance to come and give us strength to endure, a strength to stand firm in their faith. And God, I know you're going to bring something good. I know you're going to bring fruitfulness and flourishing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we all stand together today? We're going to finish singing... uh, that song, sing His praise again. I had a last minute thought at eight o'clock and I didn't get in too much trouble. Except from the person who cleaned the seats all day yesterday. But she was very forgiving. Sometimes it's just a moment. It's a moment in in life, it's a moment in uh, church life you just got to mark a moment, and, and just this, this is going to sound silly—but I wonder if some of us, as we sing His praises again today, you just got to stand on our seat. We just got to stand on our seat and say, "I'm letting everybody know I'm singing His praises again. I'm remembering His goodness. I'm just lifting up a shout of praise in this place." If you're old like me, please let someone help you get up on the chair. I don't want any workplace health and safety incidents. If that's you today, and there's, just some, there's just an overwhelming urge within you to sing his praises. Jump on your seat as we sing this final song. Let's lift him up, lift up Jesus in this place.
2: again and from the moment of rescue
0: thank you for who you are because this is all about who you are in our lives lord thank you that you are the rock that we can build our lives upon the rock that will never ever ever let us down thank you that you are the living water that wants to fill us and to help us flourish lord help us and teach us to drink from the living water thank you that you are the vine lord we are just the branches lord Lord, we wanna produce fruit, but Lord, it's only as we connect with You. Lord, help us to trust You. Help us to untrust, to trust Your unfailing love in our lives. Lord, as a church, draw us near to each other and draw us near to You. Thank You that You are the God who welcomes us. Your arms are drawing us closer, not pushing us away, but drawing us closer. And Father, thank You for the strength that comes from You. And Father, I want to pray for each one, Lord, maybe this morning acknowledging their need for You, particularly in this season, Lord, that they would know the strength that is known in You, a strength that is beyond them, a peace that is beyond them, a peace that comes from You. Lord, thank You that You never change through the ages as well. Same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, always the same. God, we just think it is a privilege to know you and to worship you. We lift you up in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. How good has it been to be together today? Could we put our hands together for Jason sharing with us this morning? I also just want to say if we can pray for you particularly this morning, we would love to pray for you. There's a prayer team will be here ready to pray for you. If you're new, We'd love to meet you in our welcome lounge as well. Have a great week. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.